Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We welcome you along to the programme. Just look at one of the texts coming in because it references something that I was listening to with interest all morning on the news and it's a texter saying, I was reading on the papers that rents, renters are paying more than mortgage holders and this is a story that we're carrying as well on our news uh, news uh, service today. And one of the things that really struck me this morning was they were saying that in some areas, particularly in, in Dublin, but it can happen around the country as well, but you can have somebody renting a home and they will be paying €500 Euro more on rent than if they were buying out the house with a mortgage. So, you know, it struck me you could have two couples living side by side in a housing estate. One is owner-occupier. They're paying their mortgage every month and the people next door got help them probably trying to save to put a deposit together. They're renting the very same house and yet the renters are will be paying €500 Euro more than the couple next door to them who are buying out their house. It's a crazy, crazy situation. And this texter said, I've heard of two examples this week that really is showing the horrors that is facing renters. One couple were paying €500 Euro a month for an, for an apartment. They've now been told their rent is to double. It's to go up to €1,000 a month. And another family who pays 700 were told their rent is going up to 1400 So in both cases, the rent has doubled. What is the government doing about this? Nothing thing, says this texter who really is not happy about the rent situation and the reason that it is making the headlines and making the news uh, this week is the latest quarterly rental report from daft.ie is out and it's showing that the average cost of renting is now in or around €1,391. So I'm assuming that's for a standard three-bedroomed three house just under €1,400. Euro. Uh, a month. The, it is a rise of 6.7% over the same quarter from last year. And the average listed rent price per month is 361 higher than it was at the peak. And the peak would have been 11 years ago. And all over the country, the figures are coming in showing just crazy prices that people are paying on rent. Obviously, Dublin is the highest, even though Dublin has fallen slightly, but they're still paying crazy money for rent. The average rent now in Dublin is €2,022 a month. How anyone can get a first-time job in Dublin 
and be expected to try to rent a, rent a property and live. It's just, I don't know how they're getting, particularly, you know, the workers who are starting, say, the 25, 30,000 euro a year job, the start, almost the starting out jobs. How are businesses in Dublin managing to get people to work for them? Unless, we are talking in the office about this this morning, unless I was saying to John Paul, it's, it's families who are, whose children who've been raised in Dublin young people and they're graduating from college or coming out of school and they're picking up the jobs because they're able to do it because they're living at home with mammy and daddy but there's very few would be able to come up from the country land themselves maybe their dream job even and have to pay over €2,000 a month on rent before they buy themselves a cup of coffee or get on the bus to go to work or buy pay for any of the bills that will go with the renting of that house or buy any food. It's just, it is absolutely crazy. Here in Cork, average monthly rent, 1,366. In Limerick, 1,225. Waterford have just gone over the 1,000 mark because they've seen a jump of 10% in Waterford to 1,013. And the biggest rent inflation was recorded in Galway. Rents during the last quarter have gone up by 15 0.5% over the same period last year and that's going to be a worry to families with students who've decided to opt to go to Galway for third level education and there is the theory that a lot of students now when they're filling in their CAO form they have to think about well you know obviously you want to think that they're 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 picking the course that they most want to do for the career that they most want for the rest of, of their lives but it now seems that in many cases students are deciding on their courses based on the location of the college which is crazy and that's going to lead to people dropping out or it's going to lead to people doing courses that they really didn't want to do but some people and a lot of students are completely avoiding Dublin saying you know not on our radar we'll never be able to afford to live in Dublin so they're looking to other areas they're looking to the Limerick the Corks the Waterfords and the Galways only to discover this year, year on year, rent in Galway up by 15.5%. That is a huge, huge drop. 1850-333-103. Absolutely feel for anyone that's in that situation of trying to rent a property. And unfortunately, so many people are in that situation and trying to save. How can you possibly save any kind of a deposit if you're paying €500 more than what your mortgage is going to cost you. How in God's name are people trying to put a deposit together in order for them to own their own property? Now, coming up on the programme this morning, uh, there was a tweet that caught my eye and annoyed me over the weekend from a man. It was a tweet that got picked up um, and a lot of people were commenting on it. He is of the belief that disabled parking bays should only be available from 9 to 5 Monday to Friday and his theory behind it all was that sure anyone with I think he sort of says a genuine disability they wouldn't be out after 5 o'clock I just thought and then quick as a flash a young uh, disabled I think she's an author actually uh, came in and said uh, we're only disabled we're not werewolves I thought it was such a great uh, comment and an answer to his ignorant tweet what an ignorant ignorant tweet but it just just, it raises that that whole issue of the way some people feel about disabled parking bays and the way some people mistreat the disabled parking bays and of that view that if it's an evening time oh surely a disabled person will be home in bed why would they be out after five o'clock utterly stupid and ignorant so we're going to be talking about it on 
the programme today. Uh, Tom in Bantry, shocked by a comment like that. He said, of course, people who are disabled will want to go out uh, at night. They'll need to have a, a night life as well. So it would be crazy for anyone to suggest that those bays could only be used between nine and five during the day. And Neil says, I've seen people parking commercial vehicles. Uh, in, he said, I've seen people, you know, those coffee carts or chip vans and they park them on disabled bays. You'll often see them on weekends, evening times or if there's a festival in a different uh, area. It's shocking to see how disabled bays are abused. It is a complete lack of respect uh, when it comes to people who need to use these disabled bays. We'll talk about that on the programme this morning. We're also going to speak with a Cork City restaurant owner who went public over the fact that they had a late cancellation last Friday night. A party of 20 were coming into the restaurant. Now, and I'm sure lots of restaurants would love the idea and get quite excited when they hear about a party of 20 coming and they prepare for it. They've got to get food in. They have to have extra staff on to cater for it. And then when other people want to book around the time that party of 20, 20 are in, they won't take extra bookings. They want to make sure that party of 20 are well looked after. And then on the day of the booking, the party cancel. I mean, it really, really is shocking. What do we need to do about it? How do we get around it? Should there be some kind of a late cancellation fee? Now, I know we spoke about this before with the Restaurant uh, Association and there's four and again. Some restaurants agree with it. And I, I know in, I don't know if anybody here in Cork actually does it. Certainly, I know in London restaurants, they do it. If, I think it's if it's a party over five, you have to leave a credit card booking and there is a set charge if you do not cancel, I think, within 48 hours. And they stick to it and they'll deduct the money. It's a bit like if you cancel a hotel room at the last minute, many hotels will take a late cancellation fee. Do we need restaurants to do that as well? Because it is really, really unfair that any restaurant, how can a small business be expected to keep going if people seem to so flippantly think it's okay just to ring up and cancel. We'll talk about that on the programme. We're also going to talk about figures showing the difference in drink driving conditions county by county. This, I was blown away by this. This really makes for a very, very interesting reading. It depends on what part of the country you're in. If you get caught for drink driving and you're over the legal limit and you get taken to court, you could be very lucky, and I say that in inverted commas, to walk away from court, depending on what area of the country. Nationwide, a third of people will walk away from court. From court. Uh, these are people who had been caught drink driving. We're going to endeavour to find out why. And we will preview the final Hawley Murphy Memorial Tractor Run. It's in memory of a young North Cork lad who died a number of years ago, and he was just a fanat- he was fanatical about uh, tractors, and he's been remembered. And the event has been used to raise money for charity over the last number of years as well. So we'll find out what people can expect because it's happening this weekend. And then after half past twelve. Today, Joe Heffernan joins us. We've been talking about depression and giving words of advice to people suffering from depression over the last number of weeks with Joe. Today, we're looking at what is often seen as the other side of depression, and that's anxiety. And certainly, there seems to be, I think, more of an understanding of anxiety than there was maybe in previous years. More people talk about 
suffering from uh, anxiety. I, I would hate to think that there's an explosion of anxiety. I think it's just more that there's a better understanding uh, of it. So we're going to talk about that with Joe on the programme today. Your thoughts and comments welcomed throughout the morning when we were talking about rents and how much rents have gone up by. A texter says, Eddie Hobbs was right when he described this Ireland as this country as rip-off Ireland. And uh, when you listen to what you're talking about today, uh, Patricia, on the programme to do with rents, nothing really has changed, says a, a texter. Thank you for that to 0862 103 103. Caroline has contacted us and this is a kind of a story that shows you nothing really has changed if you need an ambulance in a hurry. Uh, good morning to you, Caroline. Good morning. Um, you know, this it was yesterday afternoon you were in the city on the Farnley Road. Yes, that's correct. Actually, I was making my way to meet my brother and my mum to go into the Farnley Nursing Home. Okay. And um, just at the entrance, a gentleman who's a resident of the home had fallen and um, injured himself, what looked like quite severely. Now, when I arrived, it was actually about five minutes before three. And apparently he had fallen at just before two o'clock. So he was an hour lying on the, on the footpath? Well, he wasn't actually because the ambulance did not actually arrive until five to four. So he was two hours on the ground. And it was um, at the entrance to Farnley Nursing Home? Yes, it was. Now, I mean, I hasten to add that the staff in the nursing home were doing everything possible to okay. make him comfortable. The problem was there was a question of whether he had a neck injury. He certainly had a head injury. And so, I mean, you needed an ambulance to move him, you know, and aboard to get him to the hospital because the hospital is so close. Had he had another injury, I'm sure they they would have put him into another vehicle and brought him to the hospital. But our care to them themselves, I mean, the nursing staff, they're absolutely incredible, but they couldn't do that. They were depending on the ambulance to come. And he was an elderly man, obviously, if he was a patient of a nursing he's home. In his, he's in his late 80s. He's a lovely, lovely gentleman. Was he conscious and throughout? He was. He was actually asking, where are they? Why aren't they coming? And uh. at one stage, after about an hour and 25 minutes, we heard a siren in the distance. And we actually said to him, look, they're coming, they're coming. And then it went off in another direction. And it was actually a full two hours before they arrived. And obviously, people there were ringing to find out what's happening. Did somebody ring? Oh, yeah. CUH? When I arrived, actually, my brother was talking directly to somebody at the CUH because they had been ringing and ringing to try and get the ambulance. And you're routed now through Dublin or something. So there was no ambulance turning up. So my brother said, like, what do we do? So he called the hospital directly and spoke to a girl who, again, seemed quite distraughting. Look, we have five ambulances here in the bay at the moment, but I don't have the staff to discharge the people who've arrived in the ambulances so we can't release the ambulance to go to the next person who needs it. Yeah, this is this ludicrous situation where the ambulances are queuing up. The staff in the ambulance have to stay with the patient and until the patient can be removed from the back of the ambulance, brought into the accident emergency mm. that then frees up the ambulance and it's yeah. it just doesn't make any sense that you will have ambulances queuing outside an emergency department 
No, it makes no sense whatsoever. But I mean, you know, having had my dad um, being ill for a number of years, I've seen it both from internally in the hospital and from the ambulances waiting outside. It's just a ludicrous situation. It's not the fault of the staff. Once you get into that hospital, the staff are amazing. And I don't know why they go to work every day, because to work under that stress, you know, of not having the facilities, not having the resources at hand to actually do your job. I mean, it's incredible. So the fault is not with the staff. The fault is not with the ambulance drivers. The fault is with the process. I mean, the system is broken and it's been broken for years. And like even, you know, throwing more money at a broken system is not going to resolve the issue. It's a crazy situation to be in. I mean, you wouldn't leave a dog who was hurt lying on a pavement on the road for two hours. Absolutely. Absolutely. So he and you and your brother and and your mother was there as well. Did you did yes. you stay on until the man got the ambulance arrived? Um, we actually went inside because um, our reason for going there was actually to go and thank the staff of Fernie for the amazing work they've done. You know, with my dad over the last two and a half years. I mean, they're an outstanding institution there, and we were going to thank them. Ah. Um, so I went inside, and it was it was distressing on so many levels because. The car park is overlooked by the day room where all the residents of the home kind of gather in the afternoon for activities. And they were all looking down at a fellow resident and a friend. And, you know, many of them in wheelchairs, incapacitated, so distressed for him. So inside the nursing home, the staff and the residents were asking, like, when is somebody going to come? When is, you know, when is the ambulance going to come to take him? So they were observing this as well. I mean, it was just... It was distressing. It was incredible, actually. I, you know, to think that it's going on in Ireland at this day and age. And that man was probably a little bit lucky because he fell outside the nursing home. So yeah. there were nursing staff to actually at least attempt to make him comfortable on some level. I mean, if it was some poor man who fell somewhere else in the city. And there, there mightn't have no been anybody there. nearby to yes. give him the bit of comfort that, that, yes. that he got. Yeah, and I and you you that, would have I mean, because your dad was in the nursing home for for two two and a half years. You would have obviously known this man, would you? You'd have yes, yeah. I would have known him, and he's a lovely, lovely gentleman. And nobody yeah. wants to think of their elderly loved one in a position. Oh God, and, and I'm sure I, that went through your head yesterday. Oh, listen, I was traumatized because we only lost my dad three weeks ago, yeah. and. To think that anybody who has kind of like lived their life as a responsible citizen and paid their taxes and at this stage in their lives to be treated like that, it's appalling. You know, know, and so many things went through my head. I mean, I was thinking, you know, is there a medical facility up in the barracks? You know, are there medical doctors there? Do they have ambulances? And I know people say, oh, you can't get the army involved unless you have civil unrest. Well, we have a civil unrest. We have a crisis. Yeah, well, we've got an elderly man in his 80s lying for two hours yes. on a pavement waiting for an so, ambulance. We have a yeah, crisis. We have a crisis and they have to tackle it on two levels. They have to tackle the crisis by thinking out of the box and employing any other agencies who can help in the short term. And then in the long term, they have to change the system. I mean, I've lived abroad. And for me, the idea that everyone has to go through a GP, if you have a pain in your back, you have to go through your GP. To me, that sounds ludicrous. Because when I lived abroad, the way you went is you, you applied directly to go to the person you needed to see. There was no letters of referral and waiting for six weeks. 
Yeah, and, you know, and all we all we seem to, to do at. with the health system is just fire more money at it. But that's like you're firing money at a broken system. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay, and we have contacted the HSE. We haven't uh, heard back from them, but hopefully that uh, gentleman is has, he's now received the care and attention that he needs, and that he'll be back yeah. in the loving care of um, Fernley a nur- nursing home. Off. And it's a place, obviously, now very dear to you um, yeah. and and your families. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Caroline, I mean, you know, you can't be angry at the staff either in the hospitals or in the care homes, or whatever. For the most part, these people are doing a job none of us would be able to handle because I couldn't handle the stress of dealing with those kind of scenarios day in, day out. I mean, can you imagine, you know, the lady on the end of the phone who knows there's a gentleman lying on a road and she can't get the ambulance out to him? Mm. And oh, that's the responsibility. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's awful, really awful. All right, listen, thank you for highlighting it and sharing it with us uh, today. And uh, condolences to you and the rest of your family on, on the thank loss you of your wonderful much. dad, Caroline. And thanks thank for joining us. Uh, sure. Good morning okay. to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, 1850-333-103. Unfortunately, we've seen it before. And I hate to say we'll see it again. We'll hear of people, you know, waiting on an ambulance and, you know, the controller doing her best, as in, in the case here, to get an ambulance out. But this queuing system of ambulances in queued up at CUH and they can't go anywhere because they can't discharge the patient from the back of the ambulance just makes absolutely no sense. And it's, it's not a new problem. Uh, it's a problem that's been around for quite some time and something really needs to be done uh, about it. On ambulances and not having an ambulance available, the Caroline spoke to us about with that uh, elderly man in Farron Lee yesterday complaining about no ambulances, says the texter. Spare a thought for the poor paramedics who most days don't even get a lunch break because of the abuse of the whole ambulance service by some members of the public. Uh, and unfortunately, the text message system is really playing up today. But what the texter was saying was that some members of the public abuse the ambulance service in that they would be able to bring their loved one themselves to the hospital and instead they call an ambulance and that's clogging up the system as well. But that's of no use to that poor gentleman yesterday who fell outside of the nursing home and then left for two hours lying on the side of the pavement. A man in his 80s deserves so much better than that. 1850-333-103. Now, last Friday night, a Cork restaurant owner said they were left devastated after a table of 20 cancelled at the last minute. How big a problem and no shows are cancellations to the restaurant industry and what can be done about it? Joining me from the Docklands restaurant, which is on Laps Quay, is Bet Houghton. Good morning to you, Bet. Good morning. Uh, and how you, are you? I'm very well, and 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 you're welcome. Now, tell me back to last Friday. How much notice did, did this party of twenty give you, and what was their reason for not coming to the restaurant for dinner? Um, um, they gave us two hours notice. So, um, as you can imagine, on a weekend night, um, that's really you know obviously if if somebody had had you know had died or somebody was very sick or some tragedy has happened we would completely understand but their excuse was the weather oh, did did we have a tsunami in town on friday <laughs> what what was the weather like on know. friday I, I don't know where they were booking from, but I do know that that's the booking was from Cork. And as far as I know, we had a lovely, breezy Friday evening and Saturday was actually, I think, everywhere. West Cork, um, 
East Cork and Cork itself was a lovely sunny day on Saturday. So I'm not really sure um, where they were getting their weather forecast from. But obviously, from our point of view, we were completely devastated by the fact that we lost a group like that. Were they very apologetic when they spoke to you on the phone about the no, cancellation? They, they didn't actually. I phoned them um, on Friday afternoon, which we would always do just to confirm, you know, numbers so that we can make sure maybe if a table goes down, we can take somebody else in or if they want more people or maybe suddenly somebody will say, you know, we actually have a wheelchair with us or just so we can facilitate and look after all the customers. So I phoned, as I always do, to confirm their table number and um, and then they didn't reply and I left a message and I said, could they get back to me just to confirm their numbers? So I never heard anything and then at about six o'clock I just checked my emails and I saw that the gentleman in question hadn't even bothered to ring me, just emailed and said due to the weather um, we will have to cancel up. Oh, that's very that's a cowardly way to do it as well. It is. Well, it was just very upsetting. And, you know, I bet to be honest, most of our customers are absolutely fantastic and they would ring you even 20 minutes before and say, look, Beth, we have two people who've dropped off because we couldn't get a babysitter or, you know, and you understand, I mean, that's kind of when you have a rest and you do know that, that things can happen, as we all know, we can't go out with friends and a friend can't make it because they can't get a babysitter or they're sick or their husband hasn't arrived home from work and had to work late or the wife has had to work late. So we all know that those sort of things do happen um, and there's a trust as I suppose as a restauranter that you have with all the people that support you and come in to dine with you whenever they do um, that you trust them and I suppose that when things like this happen um, the trust goes out the window it's really really upsetting mm. you know for a small business and it's the size of the the booking I mean a party of 20 is is that kind of unusual um, you know what, we've had a, a few instances. I suppose if you have a table of four that don't show up, it's it's easier for your restaurant to cope with a small table not showing up. But the problem with a large table is that you know that you're going to do X amount of people. So you make sure that you have enough staff to look after the, all the customers. Yeah. You make sure that you have enough staff in the kitchen to make sure that the food is cooked properly and often with a larger table too you have ordered in particular fresh ingredients for their menu because often they will have a special menu because it's a company or it might be a birthday or it might be you know a celebration and and people like to know what they're going to be spending you know for their night out. And how long would you have had that booking for? Over two months. Ah, so that meant that people who who might have booked around the same time, you would have been saying, no, can you come earlier? Can you come later? And that's another problem. So what happens too is that obviously you are sort of putting people in around a big table because you want to make sure that there's no delays for all your other customers as well. And then somebody rings up and says, oh, can we have a table at a particular time? And you're saying, I'm so sorry, we're completely booked out at that time, but I can give you a table at a different time. And then those customers arrive into the restaurant and they see the restaurant half empty and they're looking at you going, 
what is that woman up to? <laughs> so, and, 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 like, yeah, well, the, you know. and I'm just thinking even the ambience of the restaurant, if you were to go into a half empty restaurant as opposed to going in and the hustle and bustle of a, of a table of 20, it's a different atmosphere. Well, that's it. And it's also just if you, you know, if you have an, a night that isn't so busy, often, as I always say, it's like the century of a restaurant. You might place people in a different way around the restaurant so that, you know, that, that there is a feeling of, of the restaurant being busier. But when you have a very large group like that, and because we, can, we, we have the space to put them all at one table, they had taken over the whole of the centre of the restaurant. So it was literally... Uh. It was literally plunk in the middle, so it wasn't even that it was kind of hidden with nowhere to hide it, you know. Um, so, yeah, so it was just, I suppose, what people often don't realise. And I, I, I suppose when I put the tweet up, in general, when I use social media for um, our business, we do it in a positive way because, you know, we love what we do. We love our customers. We love food and we love our restaurants and I think it was just that maybe just to let people understand that, you know, for small business, the profit margins in restaurants are about 3% is the profit margin. So when you have a table of 20 like that, you know, not showing up, it has a a huge knock-on effect for a small business. Yeah, like I that. mean, I, you know, I when I saw your your tweet and I think, you know, having a chat about it today now and and we were talking about it I mentioned it uh, yesterday that you were going you were going to be coming on the program. I just think it's good to highlight it. To, I think if it even stops one other party, large party deciding to cancel at the last minute and it just makes one person stop and think, well that's not going to be too cool or such a nice thing to do to the restaurant. I think I think that's it, and I think you know that as well for, for customers and for people in general to realise, like for restaurants, we you know as 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 a group, and I'm sure it's the same for publicans and for people that have Catholics. You don't mind if somebody picks up the phone and you know talks to you and explains, and you know if they can't come in, they can't come in. You are not going to drag them in <laughs> by you know by the hair. So you, you, know, you understand that those things are going to happen, but actually letting someone know as opposed to pushing you up and say, oh, I better not ring there because you're never going to be forced. You actually do appreciate. I always appreciate the fact that somebody rings up and says, I'm so sorry, we can't make it. And all I usually say is, look, no problem. I hope to see you again. You, you know, there's never... There's never a problem with that, you know. I yeah, guess. I mean, I, I remember we've discussed it on the programme, particularly with the likes of uh, Adrian Commons of the Restaurant Association of uh, Ireland. We've discussed yeah. this no-shows uh, over the years. And I remember at one stage there was the talk of introducing a cancellation fee, especially for larger groups. Is that something you'd ever contemplate, Beth? I suppose it's something that we now will probably have to consider for, for larger groups because it's happened a few times. We had one a few weeks ago where we had three people booked the same table. And, uh, oh, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. And the people forget what names they book their tables under as well. It might be a you know maiden name or it might be in the, a first name or somebody's booked under somebody else's name. So it's a little bit like sort of, you know, saying, right, one person's booking the table and this is the name I'm giving. But the, the, when it comes to deposits, I suppose overall, I don't, like, I don't want, to go down that route in general unless it was a big group because I love the fact that people can just say let's go out for something to eat Mm. and it might be the day before you might be meeting your girlfriends or you know 
family and you just say, well, we go somewhere, you know, something nice to eat in a few days' time. And, I, you know, the spontaneity of being able to go out and eat and, and in, enjoy nice food and people are eating out now in a much more casual way, which is all really, really lovely. I just hate the idea that, you know, you're trying to make this big contract before people walk in the door. I know, I know, um, I know. So it's, it's, a hard, it's, it's a really hard one, and I suppose my frustration was more at the fact that I, I hate the idea of having to go down that route. We do have to at Christmas, um, but the rest of the year in general, I love to believe that, you know, that the customers will be honest and, and loyal enough to you when they've made that kind of verbal agreement that they will actually at least let you know if they're not coming in or if their table has changed. It's know? just a bit of common decency and, and where, where are people's manners uh, gone? Uh, while we have you on, Beth, tell us about your restaurant, uh, Dockland. You're a 1950s style restaurant opened about two years ago? That's right, yes. So we're on um, Lapsky, which is really, I suppose, a whole new area that's up and coming in the city centre now. So it's very like a beautiful location. We're on the water. We're next to the um, Harbour Commissioners. So it's a lovely, really, really great location. We open in the morning. We open for lunch. We have a lovely deli. We do all sort of fresh, healthy um, salads and sandwiches to go. And then from 3 o'clock in the afternoon, then we do everything from sort of small bites so people can come in if they just want to have a glass of wine and spend 15 euros ahead. They can do that. They can come in and have start and main course and dessert. So the idea really was with the whole emphasis on casual dining that people could use the restaurant with depending on what they feel like doing, whether well they want to eat a little or a lot. And then very much aware of, of obviously allergens. So gluten-free is very important to us. Our daughter is celiac. So more or less everything that we produce in the restaurant is available gluten-free. And more and more people, while not everyone has been diagnosed with, with celiac like your daughter, but more and more people have an intolerance to gluten. It's just, it just doesn't seem to sit with us Irish for some reason. I think so. And I think also, you know, people's lifestyles, and again, about how people want to eat. So we would make sure we would have nice, you know, vegan, dairy-free, vegetarian. Because done. people are kind You're of... You're catering for it all. They're trying to. Yeah. And are, are, you, are you busy? Um, yes, it's been great. Yeah, we're very happy. We've been in the industry a while and we've had our tough years, so we know how to work hard. And um, But at the same time, no, we're, thr- we're thrilled with um, what we're doing. And I think people really like us too, so we're delighted. Good. And you also cater for tables of 20. Just please show up. <laughs> Listen, Beth, it was a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you for having me. Good Thank morning you to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is Beth Horton of the Docklands restaurant on uh, Lapsky and shame on whoever uh, didn't even have the neck, the gentleman, the man, we wouldn't even call him a gentleman, to ring up, to pick up the phone and call the restaurant and say, oh, the weather's looking a bit dodgy, even though it wasn't. Friday wasn't that bad. Uh, we're not going to go. I mean, it's a cowardly way to do it just to send uh, an email. And if she hadn't checked the email, they could have been sitting there waiting for them to arrive in, I don't know, whether 8 o'clock whenever the booking was, was for. So if you're not going to make a restaurant and you have made a booking, please be a common decency, a little bit of manners. Pick up the phone and ring and explain. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
Church, Matty on the College Road in the city was on to us this morning to say they have a situation whereby people are dumping glass bottles at Horgan's buildings on the College Road in the city. He said in the main it's wine bottles. And uh, he said, we simply, we wanted to stop. Well, good luck putting a call out, but uh, we're more than happy to facilitate the call out to you. Is it not time that we looked at some deposit scheme, you know, where every time you bought a bottle of wine or a bottle of spirits or even the plastic bottles, go back to the old, back in the day, do you remember the glass bottles? When you, there was, it was only a couple of pence, but you gathered them all up. But if we all paid, you know, I don't know, 20 cent, 50 cent, every time you bought a bottle and when you bought it back, you got your money back. Would that encourage people to stop dumping? And and you might get people, you might get young people then deciding it's a way of making money. They'd go around and if there was any glass bottles dumped, if they thought they could make some money back on them, they might collect them. I don't know. I, I don't know how we ever get to the end of it. But anyway, if anybody is listening that knows who are those who are responsible for dumping wine bottles at Horgan's buildings on College Road in the city, Matty, one of the residents there, is please saying, desist. Will you please stop uh, doing it? Some of your WhatsApps in Texas says, it is shocking that poor man that you spoke about, the story that Caroline outlined, that had to lie around on a footpath for two hours waiting for an ambulance to come. However, the situation is never going to improve until attitudes change. The staff at the nursing home were probably were terrified of moving him for fear of being sued, but staff would have been perfectly capable of treating and immobilising him if they were not under such uh, a threat. But I think Caroline made the point it was because it was a head injury, they were afraid of moving him because it was a neck injury and that they would do further damage, I think, to him rather than the threat of being sued. But I know, I know that point you're making that because of so much red tape and bureaucracy that's in place at the moment there are people who are fearful of doing things for fear of being sued and everything has to be done exactly to the letter of the law and according to the book and sometimes common sense goes out the door but I really don't think listening to Caroline that that was the case yesterday because the staff were fantastic she said to him and in comforting him and making him as comfortable as possible and staying with him and reassuring him it was just the picture she painted of his fellow residents in the nursing home looking out the window at their friend. Do you know, that must have been and probably thinking themselves there, but for the grace of God, go any of them, that if one of them had decided to go out for a walk and had fo- and had fallen, could it have been one of them? It's just shocking. Really, really uh, a shocking case. We are waiting for the high, for the HSE to get back. We haven't had any response uh, from them uh, as of uh, yet. Now, on rental prices. Hi, is there a name? There is Aggie. Thank you for putting your name on the text, Aggie. Hi, uh, just a comment on the issue of the rising rents. My heart goes out to anyone who has to rent at the prices that have been mentioned today on your programme. It's so, so unfair. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But are the hidden culprits partially not to blame the banks as they seem to be constantly putting up the mortgages to unrealistic prices? And then people who rent out a property, not including companies, of course, need to go above the mortgage price to cover it, including the maintenance of the apartment and the other ancillary costs with the house. It seems to me the government also have lost the run of themselves in protecting families and young people's right 
to afford to buy their own home and a place to live, including a normal, less stressful life. Such an increase, and this is now leading to an increase in depression and anxiety, by the way, which we're going to be talking about later on the programme. Our government need to get their finger out on that sound. Aggie, who said, P.S. Sorry for being so long-winded. Also, I'm not a landlord and I love your company in the mornings. Thank you. Well, I'm glad that we can be of company to you, Aggie. And we thank you for your text. I know it wasn't in any way long-winded. Keep them coming to us. Hi, Patricia, says Michael, on rental prices in Dublin. And the reason that rental prices in in Dublin continues to go up, uh, we need to stop and ask why. The answer is demand. And demand there will always be while people keep flowing into Dublin. It is now, is it not time to build a new airport outside of Dublin on the western side of Dublin, say like Nace or out by the, in the Curragh direction. It would take the pressure off the capital in every respect. Furthermore, vast regions of Dublin will be flooded by global warming. It's estimated that it's going to cost 100 million $100 billion to protect Hong Kong from the rising sea owing to global warming. God almighty, if Hong Kong doesn't have enough going on at the moment. Global warming is going to hit and to hit hard in a very, very short period of time. Look at all the low-lying towns and cities that seem to be constantly on red alert. And that's from Michael in uh, Castletown Bear. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. Also, actually, somebody else is agreeing with you in, in Dublin, saying that the reason for the steep increase in rental prices in Dublin is that Dublin have a lot more services than we have in Cork. There should be an ombudsman for the rental situation that's coming in from Liam in Brough. But actually, when you break down the latest daft.ie and the latest rent survey, it's slowed down it's kind of almost like it's peaked in Dublin, peaked at over €2,000 a month for an average house, though so it's a huge sum of money. It has slowed down. It's increasing now in other parts of the country. And what worries me was looking through it, it's, the, it's Cork, it's Limerick, it's Galway, it's Waterford. They're all the areas where young people go to college and that really worries me if students are being targeted as a reason for rent increases. And it's a bit of coincidence that the rents have started to go up just as the students are starting to look for properties. I'm not saying it's got anything to do with it, but I would be a little bit suspicious about that for sure. Uh, Frick says, uh, Patricia, this is to do with the, the HSC. This is to do with what happened, I think, at the hospital more than anything with the, and not the ambulance for that elderly man. Uh, and Frick is blaming the government saying, Patricia, people voted in the same government. They had a chance to change and they didn't uh, take it. And look at the HSC. It's a disgrace. Giving a contract to a crowd that made a hames of schools and somebody else actually is picking up on that saying, why did the builder who built 14 faulty schools get now get the job for the extension at Limerick Hospital? There's a lot of criticism in particular. Uh, opposition TDs are very critical of this. Of the, It's a company called Western Building Systems and they've secured the contract to build a 60-bed hospital ward at Limerick University Hospital, which is long overdue, can I say. But a lot of people are critical that this particular company, Western Building Systems, have been given the contract because this is the same company who are being sued by the Department of Education over building faulty schools or problems at schools. It's problems with quality of their uh, work. And it does seem a bit bizarre that 
you would have one department suing a building company for work being done and then another department deciding we're going to sign a contract with that same company to build at the UL Hospital uh, Group. The contract was signed in May. It's the 60-bed system at the hospital. The proposal to provide a fast-track ward block was initiated during 2018. It was following public procurement process by the HSC, the successful builder and bidder was Western Building uh, Systems and funding to progress the project project was subsequently included in the HSE's capital plan for 2019. So if it went on to public procurement process that got mentioned on this programme when we were talking about the Dunkettle interchange last week and when I asked about that going back out to tender and I did make the point that cheapest doesn't always mean the best and I was told well under public procurement process that's what they need to do. They need to go with the cheapest tender. So one is wondering did this particular company come in with the cheapest uh, tender? The new ward is estimated to be completed by the end of 2020 and the full cost of the project is 19.5 million. But there are 42 schools where there are defects uh, that need to be repaired and uh, by the way nobody knows exactly how much it's going to cost to repair the defects in all of the 42 uh, schools and there are 19 High Court actions against the building firm who have been initiated by the Minister for Education, Joe McHugh. So yeah, it's, it is kind of hard to understand why, but I, I think the answer is in that phrase. It was a public procurement process by the HSE. Did this company, Western Building Systems, come in with the cheapest quote and did the HSE then have no other choice but have to sign with them? Hopefully, because the fact that it's a hospital and they are, it's a six six bedded unit that is badly needed in the, the University Hospital in Limerick when we do the the amount of people that are waiting on trolleys to get into hospital always one of the top ones is University Hospital in Limerick I think at the end of the year I won't be a bit surprised to hear that they will be the ones at the end of the year you know they normally do an overall figure when they look back at the year they will be the ones that will have had the most people on trolleys because it certainly is constantly at the top of the list because it gets read out on the news here very regularly uh, on on this station so and it's so they they need the beds but they need to make sure that the building when the building is done that everything is done correct and when that they open, they'll be able to open the doors on the date that they were due to open it and you don't want a system where there's defaults and faults in the building of it as it's happened with some of those schools which is causing some of those schools they're not going to be able to open uh, next week crazy crazy situation 1850 we were talking about restaurants this morning we were talking about the lovely Docklands restaurant on Laps Quay who had that 20 no shows at one table last fr- Friday and they did the cancellation rather sneakily I feel by email, didn't even have the guts to pick up the phone and say, look, we're, we're, we're not coming to your restaurant uh, tonight. Uh, somebody says, you're talking about restaurants on the programme this morning. Well, Patricia, the best I have been to is May Fitz's in Lazarda near McCroom. The food is beautiful and it's plenty and its staff and the owners are so nice. I had a voucher which was out of date and they honoured it. No bother at all. Owner take a bow. I love when businesses do that especially especially restaurants because you know you get a voucher for a restaurant and it isn't always something that you're able to 
if you live live locally and you use the restaurant a lot, you might be able to use it. But it's not always the case that you mightn't be nearby. And it's the same with businesses as well. I love businesses that do that, that honour vouchers. Money was handed over in good faith. And for whatever reason, somebody didn't get to spend uh, the voucher. And you'll get some businesses who are really fantastic at that. And they'll always honour them. So well done. May fits us in this Arda in McCroom. A fine, fine establishment, according to this texter, to 0862103103. C103 Jobs. St. Joseph's Foundation in Charleville, the Children's Services. They're looking for home support workers for Canturk, Mallow, Charleville and the Formoy areas. Johan Seafoods, they're looking for full-time process cleaning representatives. That's to work in their Bandon factory. While the Corbett Court restaurant in Charleville, they're looking for full and part-time staff. And a receptionist is required for a busy GP practice in Mallow Town. You must have experience and be available to start immediately. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This Wednesday on C103's Court Today show, we'll be speaking with a representative from Awalia. Awalia is a scheme to help homeowners find a resolution to their home mortgage arrears. It provides vouchers for free financial and legal advice and help from experts which are available through MABS. If you have been through the Awalia scheme and would like to share your story, or if you're looking for advice, email corktoday at c103.ie. Then listen in this Wednesday at 11.45am only on C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Road Safety Authority has called for research into why there are huge county-by-county variations in the rate of court convictions for drink driving. Susan Gray is Chair of Park. The Road Safety Group is also concerned and she joins me on the programme this morning. Good morning to you, Susan. Good morning. And, and you're welcome. Now, a third of drivers prosecuted for drink driving avoid a conviction. Highest rate of conviction was in Kildare, 85%. Lowest in County Waterford, 44% of motorists. Have you any understanding why there would be different rates of convictions around the country? There's obviously various reasons, Patricia. And it's up now to the Justice Minister, Transport Minister, the Court Service and the Gardaí to look into this, investigate it and come back with a report so that do, do the, where the problems are to fix them. Do the courts record why a case is dismissed or struck out, do we know? Now, in the past, Deputy Tommy Bruin asked for figures on speeding, drink driving, mobile phone use, and the courts did supply um, answers as to um, why somebody, not why somebody wasn't convicted, but they give breakdowns of how many summonses were not served, how many were sh- cases were struck out, how many were dismissed, how many were adjourned. This time they didn't supply that information. They said that they cannot categorically state the particular reason why any particular case um, a person was not convicted. But we would have liked um, at least a breakdown of how many were struck out, how many were adjourned, how many were dismissed. Mm. And that's but, why what the the RSA and, and, and your good selves apart, we need more, we need research into the reasons. Exactly. 
And we've been reporting problems in the courts for years to the Ministers for Transport Justice, to the RSA. And Tommy Brown has constantly raised serious issues in the court or in the Doyle relating to non-conviction, non-recording of licences, someone has not served, you name it, Tommy Brown has been actively working on it. And we have to really praise him for that. He's an outstanding TD. Hold on. And that is another big concern is people convicted of drink driving failing to produce their licence in court. I wasn't aware of, of, until I was reading up yesterday, how high the figure is. I mean, are we basically saying that they get away without the penalty points if they don't bring their licence with them to court? See, in law, Patricia, you must, the law states that if you're brought to court on a road traffic offence, which incurs say penalty points or you may be disqualified in court, you must bring your licence and you must produce it. Yeah. Now, what we're seeing in the courts that we last attended was some are being asked, they may have their licence on them, but until they're asked or requested by the court to produce it so that the court clerk can record the licence number, which must then be sent to the Road Safety Authority and transport to input into their driver file computer, then some are not requesting it. Some are requesting it, but if the driver states that they forgot their licence at home, forgot to take it with them, some judges are proceeding with the case without the licence. Some judges are demanding that... The case will not be concluded until such time as the driver goes away, gets a license and comes back. Oh, surely, like surely that's the way that every, yeah, surely every judge should be looking for that. Yes, but doesn't it appear to be happening, Patricia? And then we have the problem of um, 90% of those that are disqualified in court last year not surrendering their licence to the Road Safety Authority. That's another law that they're breaking. And yet the Road Safety Authority is doing absolutely nothing to change the procedure. The procedure, if you're disqualified in court, the RSA write out to you and tell you that you must surrender your licence to the Road Safety Authority by way of posting it to a PO box in Cork. Okay. Now, that's that's not such for purpose. That that system, and that is why ninety percent are not surrendering their licences. And we've pleaded with our RSA and the Minister for Transport time and time again to change that system. Now, but, and you, but do you believe many of that ninety percent then are still driving? You see, until such time that the proper research is carried out. We won't know how many drivers are driving while disqualified, but if you don't surrender your licence, we would take it as a given that there's a, the reason they're not returning it is they want to keep it, to continue to drive. Mm, mm. And the guardie cannot often identify them at the roadside if they produce the licence. There's nothing on the licence to say 
there's no stamp on it to say it's invalid that that person has been disqualified. So we have families in park that have suffered through the hands of disqualified drivers killing their loved ones. One family in particular, Catherine Tony Reid, they lost their only son, Carl, in a hit and run in Dublin, whereby the driver that killed him had three, three disqualifications at the time of the fatal crash. He's in jail now with a fourth disqualification. But they'll never so get they'll never get their son time, back. No. And and they're absolutely serious, as you can understand, to know that there's no proper system in place by the RSA to ensure that those that are disqualified surrender their lesson. So there's so many problems, and we welcome the fact that because RT did such good coverage on Sunday, both on the radio and on 61091 News, that um, on the problem in the courts of the different rates of conviction for drink driving in, in different counties mm. and the fact that there's a poor rate of recording licences, we welcome that and we have no doubt that it's due to RT covering that that the Road Safety Authority were encouraged to come out and make a statement calling on the Minister for Justice the Gardaí and the court service to now investigate the different rates of conviction. But we believe the Minister for Transport, Shane Ross, should be included in that. He's the minister who's bringing on the drink driving laws. He should have a, a huge interest in being part, taking part in this investigation. Yeah, I mean, there and obviously will be some very genuine reasons why a case was, was struck out of course. But, but a third, overall, a third seems too high a figure. Yes, like in Donegal, where I'm from, there's a 74% conviction rate. We would welcome that because we, you have to understand that drink driving is one of the most challenged pieces of legislation in our courts. So to get, uh, like in Kildare, an 85% conviction rate and Longford 82 awfully 77 and Galway 76 that's very very good rate but having said that there's nothing to explain why County Waterford would have such a low rate of 44 Louth 55 Dublin 57 and Mayo 58 there shouldn't be this massive difference yeah we need, we need to, to we need to, 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 to find out why. And I know, Susan, you grew Park, you've been campaigning since, I think about 2015, for real-time reporting of convictions. Yes, we have. Explain right. how that would work and where are you at with it? Right. Up until recently, the Road Safety Authority informed us through Deputy, the excellent TD Deputy Bruin raising it in the Doyle again, he asked how long, from the time somebody they disqualified in court, how long and what procedures in place for the court service to inform RSA and transport that that person has been disqualified and giving the detail. We were shocked to know until recently it took the court three, up to three months to send that information to the RSA and transport. 
Now, we're told it's down to one month now, but it's only done manually. At the end of every month, the court service send bulk um, outcomes from the courts to the RSA. Then but, the RSA but, but, sorry, manually. it's done manually? Manually, in this day and age. That and seems then utterly the bizarre. they must input it into their database manually. And once they get around to that, and they couldn't give a time frame of how long that takes. So you have a month, somebody's disqualified, that's a month before they send the, the outcomes involved to the RSA. Then we don't know how long it takes the RSA to input that manually onto their database. I don't know why that has to be done manually. And then, and only then, it's sent to transport to input into the National Vehicle Driver File. So you could be talking about three months before outcome of a case could be live on transport's database. And when you consider that's the driver file database that the guards are relying on when they get these handheld, these the mobile devices. Game changer, yeah. yeah, yeah. These handheld devices, which are due to be issued. Which, which were, anou- the yeah, they were announced in, in, in February. Yes. And the first batch are due to go out in October. Okay. And over two, uh, up to 2000. But the information needs to be up to date yes. in order for that to work. I mean, I, I cannot believe that they're still in 2019 with technology becoming so far advanced that they're doing something manually, particularly a government that are constantly trying to get people to do everything online and encouraging people to do everything online that within their own court service they can't do it online. But then the RSA are doing it manually. It's mind-boggling. And then it's been manually and put it into transport. We're in the year 2019 and in Northern Ireland they have these handheld devices that have instant access to this information from their transport computer overnight. From the courts, within 24 hours, they have that information. Here, I don't know what year we're working on, but it's not the century. Okay, all right. It's just it's it 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 is it it is utterly bizarre. And just Susan on on drink driving. I mean, I I think even the fact that we've got to talk about drink driving or going to court. Are, are we get are we getting? any closer to it being a thing of the past? No. Some people, yes, are sitting up listening and realising it's a no-no now. Drink driving is totally unacceptable. But there's a cohort, and I think it's a large cohort of people that are still taking the risk. Um, Now, when we... um, analysed the court service figures and broke it down per court, per county and per court, I think it'll help a great deal in highlighting the courts where people will now know there's a very slim chance that when they're caught and go to court, there's a very slim chance of them that not. Whereas in other courts, they need to, whatever procedure they're using, they need to really look long and hard and ensure that the rate goes up the way it should be in the 70s or 80s percent. And hopefully now when the investigation starts, the 
find out where the problems. The court service give Tommy Bruin various reasons why a case may, uh, a person may not be convicted. And the first suggestion they give is that a guard may not turn up in court. But and then somebody, somebody will simple as that. Somebody will walk it, free because of that. Well, that was their first. They said there are various reasons, such as, and the first one example they give is a guard may not turn up in court. We don't believe it. It's like forty-four percent convicted in Waterford. We don't believe that the rest of them failed because uh, uh, we would hope that that happens very seldom, and that there's a far, far bigger picture here. Okay. And far more reason why people are getting away with drink driving in our courts. We will watch and this until one. such time that that investigation is complete. And we would hope and pray that it doesn't take the likes of RT to remind the powers that be that this investigation must be completed and must be reported. Now, the court service is due, we believe, before the Public Accounts Committee shortly. We would hope that they would ask them. All this information, it's all fine and well saying they're doing, they may do an investigation, but the results must be put into the public domain. And also the solutions that they're putting in place to stop this happening, to ensure that there's a higher conviction rate and to ensure that more um, licenses are recorded. Now, Brendan Ryan, the CEO of the court service, we met him in 2014 and we told him from attending courts around the country what we were seeing happening and there was problems with recording licences. He assured us that he would remind the court clerks of the importance. The Minister for Transport at the time um, wrote to the court service um, outlining the importance of recording licences. But... Only last week, the same CEO of the court service, Brendan Ryan, uh, reported to Deputy Tommy Bruin that they were aware that um, over 8,000 people were convicted in court. No, out of the amount of people that were convicted in court for speeding last year, over 8,000 did not have their license number recorded. So did they get the penalty points due to them? Mm, so and if their license recorded, you, 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 you assume that they didn't. We're going to have to leave it there. It's an issue okay, we will return thanks. to and we'll keep an eye on Susan. But thank you for that. And uh, thanks okay, for joining thanks. us on the programme. Bye-bye. That is uh, Susan Gray of the Road Safety Group at Park, where she is chairperson. Some of your thoughts on this. James said, I left somebody drive my vehicle. He physically had his driving licence and was able to show it to me. What I didn't know, says James, was he had been disqualified for driving. He actually was off the road, but I had no way of knowing it because he physically had the licence in his hand. Is there any way that we could ring uh, the licence authority and ask them if a licence is valid or not? But James said, I doubt if they'd give us that information, they'd say because of GDPR. Body in Bantry said anybody who is going to court for a drink driving offence, they should be made to have their licence in court with them on the day. And then if they're struck off, 
and put off the road the licence should be taken from them there and then the solicitor should make sure that the licence is with them in, in court so if they lose the licence it can be physically removed from them but even if they don't lose the licence when they've got penalty points they're meant to have the licence with them in court but listening to Susan it seems in some cases the judges don't ask for it even if a person has got the licence with them and in other cases when they're asked where's your licence oh sorry judge I forgot to bring it with me and then therein lies the problem that's why we need more research to find out exactly what is going on and Tommy in Formoy says no wonder some counties have less convictions for drink driving some counties are smaller and that is why and then you would have other areas where they're more conscious of drink driving and then you'll have other parts of the country where they really don't care and there will be a lot more drink driving. Well, the size of the county doesn't matter in this case, Tommy, because it's percentages we're talking about. So it doesn't, whether it's a small county or a large county, we still have a great uh, anomaly there where you can have some counties where up in the 80s, 85% was the highest was recorded in Kildare of all of the drink driving convictions that went before the courts, whereas come down into County Waterford, only 44 of all of the driving convictions uh, were were found guilty in court. Uh, OK, we'll leave it there as I say, when this researcher, we'll follow this one with interest to see what the research comes back that the RSA uh, is looking for from the court services. And keep your calls and comments coming and I will return to them, but I want to move to a different issue for a moment because this year marks the final year of the Holly Murphy Memorial Tractor Run which will take place next Sunday starting in Glamworth. To preview the event I'm joined by uh, Steve McCormack. Good morning to you Steve. Good morning Patricia, how are you? I'm very well. I'm told you're a proud Tipperary man. A proud Tipperary man indeed. <laughs> very happy, very, very happy indeed. Uh, it was a great we'll see match. what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll try and defend it next year if it's possible. At all, it, was you know? a, it was a great match. It, uh, it really was. Yeah. Okay. Rem- I suppose start by reminding listeners who uh, Holly Murphy was. Well, uh, Holly was, uh, he was a young Sandworth boy. He went to school in Sandworth here. And uh, after the national school, he went to St. Goldman's College in Fermoy. And like all youngsters growing up, he had a different interests, and he seemed to have a fascination with tractors. And you know, uh, his mom Francis told me that any time there was a bit of silage being caught, himself and the young lad used to ramble off there and maybe get a spin in the tractor if that was at all possible. You know. Yeah. And uh, from from what I know of him or what I've been told, uh, he was a a great youngster for. Uh, the holiday, getting back to the holiday again, you know, he was, he was supposed to be an up-and-coming prominent little holder, you know. And uh, like any typical young fella, he had interests. He had a great interest in fashion. He liked to, he liked his hair done well. He liked to uh, dress well. You know, he was uh, supposed to be a dab hand at the, the footwork as well because uh, getting back to, to Francis there and then spotted there his father, they were just telling me that at one particular occasion down through there a couple of years back that he did a bit of the moon dance at one of their parties like so obviously he must have been a <laughs> the Michael Jackson he moon must have dance been a, a of Michael Jackson and he was, he, was a, he was a kid of the 80s music you know he Tina Turner he liked and Michael Jackson and he was a bit of an all-rounder you know and he lived his life to the full and just, very happy just, outgoing child you know just 14 when he passed away and actually his anniversary is this Friday that's right, yeah. and uh, like I say, uh, he was—he was—he was a kind of a chap you would like by everybody. He used to shrug off everything, like you know, everything was no problem to him, like you know, and uh, 
it was unfortunate in the way that he passed away, but in fairness to his family, they, they organised this uh, tractor run on, uh, in memory of him, and it's been going on for uh, five years now, and uh, it's been a success. And uh, like I say, it's culminating now on this one on Sunday, and we're hoping to have it a, a fantastic day as well, you know. And it's raised money for various charities, is it, over the years? Yes, it has. Any time the tractor run's been on, it, it's, it, it's, it's raised. Any time they, they've raised money, they've... Uh, They've donated to different groups and different charities and we said from my hospital and places like that they've they benefited quite well from it like you know and, and uh, like I said the, the Murphy family were absolutely thrilled to be associated with something like that well you know. And I know this year it's hoped the fact that it is the last one that to erect a permanent memorial to, to young Hawley in, in Glamworth. Yes that's absolutely correct and as we speak uh, the, it's, it, this particular memorial is actually on its way and it consists of basically uh, it's a table and a seat arrangement and it's uh, been erected in the plain in the area just outside the church on Main Street here on the small little plaza that's there and uh, it will be officially uh, opened on the 7th of September but we're hoping to have it up and ready for uh, the end of the week, uh, we'll say, and possibly Sunday, people can have a look at it, you know. Fantastic. Or whatever, OK, you know. tell us the plan for next uh, Sunday. Uh, have you any idea on the number of, of tractors that will take part? Well, going on last year, those there could have been anything up to maybe 140 or 50 of them, and it's actually a tractor. It turned into a, a tractor, truck and vintage run now okay. last year, you know. <laughs> and between all those there should be a, a, quite a number of vehicles out there, you know. So what's basically going to happen is that uh, they, they register up here in Johnstown at the top of the village here in Glenwood up to the, the cemetery. They register there at 11 o'clock in the morning and uh, they make their way out onto the road then possibly around maybe quarter past 12. And they have a circuit there that will bring in a wide area consistent, we'll say, of... of, of uh, Chambellimore and Kildare and they do a circle there and they come back into Glanworth again they come back into the field and uh, what happen, What happens there is then there's uh, as usual there's uh, three cups being given out to the, the three different categories and there'll be a prize given them to them of course as well and uh, from we'll say one o'clock on then there'll be uh, there'll be music there there'll be a DJ there from around one o'clock on uh, a fella called uh, DJ Jack Jack Lyons over there from Kilshannock he's, he's the obliged you know it's, uh, free of charge and it's a family fun day isn't it it's, it's a family yeah. fun day and, yeah. and, and, and like I say around 3 o'clock then Donny O'Sullivan will provide music and a trailer there'll be plenty of festivities up there plenty of Great. games there'll be food up there and there'll be there'll be all different little small little bits and pieces that we can raise a few bob as well and, uh, and the forecast for the yeah well the forecast for the weekend isn't bad I haven't actually heard of that. Yeah, moment, no, it's not bad. It's not bad for yeah. the weekend. I know it's from well, Friday. It's going to be getting warmer. So we're, we're hopefully all, all the showers will be out of the way this week and yeah. it'll be fine could, for the weekend. Could I just mention that uh, during the tractor run, there will be a bucket collection uh, wherever they go, uh, whatever okay. direction they take. There'll be a bucket collection before us. And we're hoping that people will be as generous as they have been in the past because people have been exceptionally generous on the past uh, five years. And uh, we're hoping that this will be 
That's even the last though, you one. know, we thank them for it very much for it, you know. Okay, we'll pass on our best regards to uh, Hawley's family, uh, Steve, and best of luck to everybody taking part on Sunday. It sounds like it's going to be a fun event, and that's what it's all about. Thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. And could, could I just say to you before we go, I'd like to uh, say thanks very much to Kathleen and Peter Reynolds and Mike Sheen for allowing us to use our fields over the period of time that we've had the track to run. And we'd like to thank uh, Cork 103 and indeed yourself for allowing us to be on the air this morning. Thank you very much indeed. It's our pleasure. Thanks for that, uh, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. That is uh, Steve McCormack on behalf of the Hawley Murphy Memorial Track to run in Glamworth, heading out on Sunday for the final one. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Very, very busy. Uh, Huge amount of calls this morning to the phone line. So apologies to, uh, to people who have had to wait for what they deem are excessively long periods of time for John Paul's doing his best to get through as many of the calls as, po- as possible but apologies if we don't get to all your calls are indeed if we don't get to all your comments and uh, texts but we do promise we do read them and uh, go through all of them but let me get to some of them now uh, now we've been talking about ambulances and ambulances queuing at Cork University Hospital and this all came up because of uh, our call this morning from Caroline who was at Farnley Nursing Home yesterday on a very sad journey for her family as well I thought she was there with her brother and her mam, and they were going back into the nursing home just to say thank you for the fantastic care that the staff there had given to her dad he was a patient there for two and a half years and he sadly passed away just three weeks ago and as they were heading in to go into the nursing home at the entrance to the nursing home one of the residents who they knew because obviously they've been in and out of that nursing home regularly for the last two and a half years and this elderly man out for a little bit of a walk and something happened he fell he tripped he collapsed I'm, I'm not quite sure what happened to the poor old man but it looked like he was a head or a neck injury so they were, had to ring for an ambulance staff came out and he was being you know looked after as best they could on the footpath as you head into the nursing home but a distressing scene to see an elderly man lying there and as we heard from Caroline as she outlined the story for two hours they watched this elderly man lying on the side of the road because there was no ambulance and the reason there was no ambulance was when they got on to CUH they said we've got five ambulances parked in a queue outside they cannot discharge their patients because obviously there wasn't a trolley available for them inside in the A&E and therefore there was nothing that they could ambulance control could do we're doing our best kind of thing we'll get you when we can so it took two hours before this gentleman was finally taken off the the, the footpath shocking just and please God he's doing okay and we'll make a full recovery well a paramedic was listening to us and he rang in just to share some information with us he said there are three ambulances covering Cork City at night that is an area now taking in Glanmire and Ballancolic big populated areas plus they go as far as in, in a Shannon Cove Carrigaline Crosshaven and Middleton but there's no overnight ambulance in Middleton and there, therefore between Dungarvan and Cork City there's only one ambulance to service that particular region overnight and that's an area that's covering Glanthorn Carrigtool and Middleton for overnight. That's crazy. And this paramedic who contacted us, who obviously should remain nameless, says the population is growing, but the services are declining. That's a real worry. And that's from somebody at the front, cold face of it, is at the front of it, is seeing the need there. But just to have one ambulance at night covering that huge area. And I know the, the gentleman we were talking about yesterday was an issue that happened in the afternoon, so that it wouldn't... It wasn't an overnight one, God forbid, if that particular accident had happened overnight. How long would the poor man be lying there at waiting? We just have to so do something 
to sort out the issue we have with the bottleneck now that almost is CUH and somebody's picking up on that by WhatsApp saying hi Patricia regarding the hospital issues it's directly the fault of the hospital management take us back nine years ago Bantry and Mallow hospitals were downgraded and their A&E departments were closed they were turned into assessment units that deal with the small list of minor complaints also the A&E in the South Infirmary was closed this means that all serious trauma and illness can only go now either to the Mercy Hospital or to Cork University Hospital which collectively have only about 20 examination cubicles to serve the population of Cork City and County. If Bantry and Mallow were upgraded again bring back the A&Es it would alleviate a lot of the current crisis at Cork University Hospital and how often have we heard that particular call thank you there's no name on that thank you to that uh, listener for that uh, text and but I will say the urgent care centre and the medical assessment units the two the one that operates at Mallow and at Bant- in, in Bantry are fantastic units and they work so well and anyone who's gone through their doors we constantly sing their praises uh, here on the radio you get in you get seen you're in and out I mean I was only last week my young niece had to go to the local injury clinic and I think we were done and dusted in an hour in home and I was saying to her uh, that if we had to go to Cork University Hospital we'd probably be there for the night and that's no, that's no slur on Cork University Hospital but just with the backlog. So I was very appreciative of having a local injury uh, clinic and I know we also heard from somebody who was in the medical assessment unit at Bantry Hospital around the same time because I, I got to put to tag the two things and talk about the both places together. So they are wonderful facilities but it's the local injury unit can only treat certain injuries and the same with the medical assessment unit but if you fall in under the remit of them they are wonderful but do we need to have them back upgraded to accident emergency departments as they once were and I remember well and and I'm surprised that it is nine years ago but I remember back in the day when we had all the arguments about the A&E closing in Bantry and Mallow people spoke about how were Cork University Hospital and the Mercy Hospital going to cope and we spoke about this funnel of people all being sent up to CU and in the main to CUH particularly with people travelling from West Cork and indeed North Cork it seems to be CUH a lot of people go to and what, what what's happening at the emergency department was predicted that it was going to happen so is it time to kind of say to the powers that be you made a decision you thought it was the right one at the time absolutely the urgent care centre and the medical assessment units are working but you also need to relook at the accident and emergency department I think if we put that out and did some kind of a poll on it I could nearly predict what the result would be people would say bring back the A&E to Mallow General Hospital and bring it back to Bantry Hospital uh, as well uh, 1850 and here's a text that came in the other day I just didn't get around to it but it ties nicely in with what we're talking about today every day says this texture. Every day Patricia the news is announced of the number of patients who are waiting for beds and who are lying on trolleys at the various accident and emergency departments. I am just wondering if any other listener has had a similar experience to this. A relative was held in hospital overnight after what was a very minor procedure the previous day. She was finally seen and her discharge was approved at about 10am in the morning. She was keen to get home but the system in place to finalise her discharge, wait for this, took a further five hours. She needed to wait for her prescription and she also needed to wait for a referral letter. That took 
five hours. This is surely delaying more desperately ill patients waiting on trolleys from getting the bed that my relative was in, waiting for the five hours to get a prescription and a referral letter. Could the hospitals not set aside a discharge ward, have nice comfortable chairs where these patients going home could be accommodated in the interim while the necessary paperwork is completed. It would certainly make beds available more efficiently and alleviate and improve trolley waiting times. Isn't that... uh, Thank you for that well put together text. But isn't that just bizarre that it could take five hours? Now, I know the staff will say, oh, come on, we're so busy and that referral letter has to be typed up and the prescription has to be signed and has to be double-checked and all of that. And okay, if it does, if it has to take five hours because it's paperwork and staff are busy doing other things, I think what this listener is suggesting, a discharge ward, nice comfy chairs, you know, maybe let them have access to tea and coffee or whatever. Let them be able to wait with a family member if needs be. But get them out of the bed. That lady was in an acute bed. There's somebody down in the A&E. She doesn't say, I'm just checking that, okay, it doesn't say what hospital uh, they were in. But more than likely, there's somebody down in the A&E department of that hospital waiting on the bed that could be put into the bed, which would then free up the trolley so that the ambulance that's parked outside can bring in one of their patients from the ambulance put the patient onto the trolley where the woman has just gone upstairs to take the bed from the person who's waiting in the discharge suite, ward. And then the ambulance is free to go and collect our elderly man who was lying yesterday for two hours on the side of the road. It seems like a very simple solution uh, indeed and that could be replicated in all of our hospitals, surely. Uh, 1850 Don't know how common that is that somebody gets discharged at 10 in the morning but doesn't physically leave the bed of the hospital for another five hours because that's how long it took to get the referral letter and to get the prescription charge. Is that common is what we are asking today. 1850-333-103. And there's a number of people I have to say giving out and talking about this company, this building company that's after receiving the contract to build the 60 bed hospital ward at the University Hospital in Limerick. It is a company called Western Building Systems. They tendered, it went through public procurement process. They won the contract. They were the successful bidder and they're now going to be given uh, just under 20 million. 19.5 million is the estimated projected cost for the building of this 60-bedded ward in Limerick with the work due to be expected, what said you, expected to be completed at the end of 2020. Uh, Dan wonders, Patricia, regarding that 14 million euro contract, I bet you, I bet you, says Dan, it won't come in at anything under 30 million euro. These companies that tender, they seem to go in very low and then they'll take the specs apart and they'll charge extra once they are appointed, said Dan. And is that a problem that we have with this public procurement process? That all of the different agencies are told, this is the way, there can be no brown envelopes anymore. I can't say to you here, give me my company and build it. I know you, you know, I'll look after you. 
Well, to get rid of all the brown envelopes. So we have a public procurement process in place. Everybody tenders and then all of the departments are told to go with the cheapest quote that comes in. And then once they win the contract, they can then charge whatever, whatever they like. That, but that's not a public procurement process for uh, sure. OK, and a number of people just really not happy about that at all. Eddie from Mahan says it looks like one department is now talking to the other department on the issue of the contract being offered to the same building firm, bearing in mind that this building firm is being sued by the Department of Education, yet the Department of Health via the HSE is after awarding this contract. Yeah, none of none of that making uh, sense. Uh, 1850 Now, earlier, last week on the programme, we were talking about graves and the condition of some of our older graveyards. And we were talking about the fantastic work that's done by local volunteers and only for the local volunteers to go out and do up some of the older cemeteries. They'd be even in a worse condition than they already are. And it was all kicked off because Eddie joined us from the city and he had relatives who wanted to go relatives visiting and they wanted to go visit the graves and they in particular were looking for some graves and they were led to believe that their loved ones were buried in a very old graveyard in Cullen and they went down and Eddie contacted us and he was he and his relatives were very upset at the condition of the graveyard they couldn't even read some of the detail on the graves some of the graves had fallen over and they just couldn't get over the condition of the graves anyway that has prompted an email in from the Secretary of Cullen Tidy Towns Committee, uh, Derry Morley, writes to me, uh, who is a group, it says in the email, who does an awful lot of work to help enhance our vi- village. I wish to make a few points. As a result of our work, Cullen has been awarded the title of the most improved village in North Cork for 2019. And I must disagree with a caller on your show on Friday who complained about the state of our local graveyard in Cullen. We have, in fact, three graveyards, two of which are kept in pristine condition and the third which the individual was speaking about in fact also underwent a clean-up because a blessing of the graves took place there recently. However, there is very little we can do with this particular graveyard as it is extremely old and obviously it isn't our job to erect or restore some of the headstones which I agree are in very poor condition. Surely this must be the responsibility of the relatives of the deceased. I do appreciate why this man was disappointed but especially when he couldn't find the graves he was looking for but putting the blame on the people of Column who take great pride in their locality I do believe is unfair Um, and that's from Derry who as I say is Secretary of the Column Tidy Towns Committee I don't really know I'd have to listen back to the interview again. I don't think Eddie was putting the blame on the people of uh, Colin and he certainly wouldn't be pointing the finger of blame at the Tidy Towns uh, Committee because, and it's something we regularly on this programme talk about, they're fantastic volunteers that are within the Tidy Towns Committees and who do exceptional work. But we do have a problem and you're even admitting it, we do have a problem with these older graveyards and you're right Surely the responsibility is of the relatives of the deceased. But I take it with a lot of the older graveyards, are there even relatives left to look after these graveyards? And therefore, they're Catholic graveyards in the main. Does it fall back on the church? Does it fall back on the local parish to get involved? I'm just thinking out loud. I don't know if this is this is the, the something that like this could be done because it isn't just an issue for Colin. It's an issue forever for wherever there, there are 
old graveyards that are no longer in use and that nobody's buried there anymore. Very few people go to visit. The only ones that do go to visit are people like Eddie's relations who are going, maybe, you know, doing some ancestry, checking out, trying to find out where graves graves are, looking for dates on graves, uh, etc. But well done to everybody involved with Colin Tidy Towns uh, Committee. You're doing a fantastic work and I don't think in any way Eddie was pointing the finger at blame uh, because you do, as you say in your email, take great pride in your locality and long may that continue. 1850 333103 lines open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Cleanas is an Irish charity that financially aid families with a seriously sick child. They're looking for volunteers for a fundraising back bag pack in Dunstores in Bishopstown Court this Saturday. If you can help in any way, can you contact Dara on 061 Bantry Historical Society are holding an evening of culture from the four valleys beside Bantry Bay on t- today at 8 o'clock in Bantry Library. John Green, our own John Green of C103 will be MC for the night with singers including Sean O'Shea, Vincent Crowley and many, many more. A five-day Masters of Tradition festival runs from the 21st, that's tomorrow, through to the 25th of August. It features a series of Irish traditional musical performances and they'll all be performed in Bantry. While Dunmanway Historical Association, in conjunction with Heritage Week, they are presenting a guided town walk. It's happening this Thursday at 7 o'clock and you're asked to meet at the Heritage Centre. And we've had a couple of calls in this morning, John Paul says, inquiring about a country music event which is going on in Formoy GAA grounds next Sunday. And people are wondering about the seating arrangements and the parking facilities at said event. So, we got on to the organisers of Formoy Goes Country to be told you can still buy tickets on the day so it isn't completely sold out. The bulk of the stadium will be standing with some seating. So if you want to bring a camping seat, there shouldn't be any problem with that. But if you want to get one of the seats in the stands, it will be very much on a first come, first served basis with regard to parking. There is very limited parking at the GAA grounds in Formoy itself, but there'll be plenty of public car parks in Formoy. So you're advised to use those. So somebody's just sent in a text saying, hi, I've just received a card. It was posted in Belfast on the 1st of August and today is the 20th of August. I'm wondering, has Brexit arrived already and is that how long we'll have to wait for our post? Hopefully not, but that does seem like an incredibly long period of time for a card to get from Belfast down to Cork. 20 days. Talking about, thank you for that, discharging from hospital, University Hospital Limerick that we've been talking about with the new bed, the new 60-bedded ward. Somebody said they have a lovely discharge lounge so they seem to be ahead of themselves when people are saying that's what we need in all of our hospitals here. And also Deirdre in, oh Joan in Formoy says, can we not bring back our four local health boards like we had once upon a time, get rid of the HSC and the HSE replaced the health boards and they said it was going to be more efficient but a lot of people would say no, that's not certainly the way it's gone. And Deirdre in Middleton is concurring with the length of time it can take to get discharged from a hospital to get all your paperwork to get out of the bed to free up the bed to make it available for somebody else her husband is a regular visitor to CUH in Wilton and uh, 
She said, yeah, the average wait time for a discharge letter and medication is five hours and the ward that he's generally in could take six beds, but it's used as a day ward. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people sing you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Board with only two to three people in it and she feels that's a waste of services it could be used for something else uh, thank you for that and thank you to Eddie and Mahan who rang back about Colin Graveyard to say he'd like to make it be known to the good people particularly of Colin Tidy Towns Committee that he wasn't pointing the finger or blame at any group or at any one in particular and he also would hate to think that the fact that he was raising the condition of the graveyard that would come across he was pointing the finger blame particularly at the great volunteers that are in Tidy Towns so I'm glad to um, clarify that and just on are there still traffic delays let me look here just quickly on Google Maps just to see has it cleared it seems to be clear in a bit there we were getting reports in of quite excessive delays coming into Annabelle roundabout in Maddow that was due to a truck had broken down but it looks like that has cleared I'll get confirmation on that but uh, Peter uh, joins me because he had a kind of a scary experience on the Maddow road this morning G- good morning good afternoon to you Peter Good afternoon, Patricia. You were driving to work. Was it going from Mallow up to Cork? Uh, from Cork to Mallow. Cork um, to Mallow, okay. And at the Drummerhan turn-off there, uh, a car pulled out and, and basically stopped in the lane um, uh, trying to cross the road. So as you're driving on the, Ma- on the Mallow lane, uh, a car pulled out from the Drummerhan turn-off and just stopped dead and tried then to proceed to inch across into the Corkbone lane. Um, do you know, I'm driving that road for six years now. Um probably 12 times a week 12 times a week up and down and um, it's the first time that I've ever seen that and, you know with a, a, wet, a wet morning what time yeah what, what time is that at? that would have been at uh, 10 to 10 yeah because I was well I was out on the road earlier this morning I mean it was a miserable old morning out there it was you know you know and, and it was actually funny like you know there was a group of people in the car and I had to slam the brakes and slam I couldn't stop because there was a van behind me and if I had I had to swerve the car and you know haunted that there wasn't another car coming across from the junction or that a van behind me didn't um, didn't didn't slam into me, do you know, but uh, slamming on the horn and slamming on the brakes elicited a 
quite a, a negative reaction from the people in the car, you know, rolling the window and giving the finger. You know, they didn't seem to see anything wrong with stopping in the middle of the road, and you know, we've seen so, so many. So how many? How many crashes. was? How many was in the other car? Oh, I would say a full car, so five. five. And they were having a go at you. They're having a go at me for honking the horn after they stopped in the middle of the road. Like you know, I had to keep going because then if I if I tried to stop at all. It would have resulted in a crash. So you me. didn't get car registration or no, anything? No, I didn't. No, no I, you know it was quite a. I usually be quite good at trying to trying to find out the reg on, on cars and situations like this. You know, um, it was such a scary experience. I just had to kind yeah. of just keep going and pulling. Lunatic, kind of absolute, get, get absolute lunatic. But that certainly we talk so much about drive about the M20 and the M20, and like there are crashes. A lot of it is driver behaviour, Patricia. Yeah. I mean, I drive it that road as I said so much during the week, like. Basic things like using your indicators aren't being done by drivers, um, and then your situation like that. Some sometimes we'd have drivers on the roads who simply don't know what they're doing, and like that, it was that is a dangerous junction. If you're not confident in, in, mm. in coming out of that junction, you shouldn't be using it. And there are other ways to get onto the main twenty, um, going down there by the by the primary healthcare centre. Um, you know where you don't have to cross the junction, and it's but, a uh, very busy junction, Peter. Yeah, it's very busy. Oh, yeah. I, my my in laws in Drumhead, so I use that quite regularly like you know and it can be you know uh, any day uh, of the week even weekends it can be parts where you know you're waiting a while to cross it you know and yeah. you know I, I am advised by my in-laws a lot you know to actually not even use that junction when you head back to Cork um, so you know a lot of people don't I know, I know a lot of people yeah. just just will not use that junction and they will go out of their way to avoid using that junction but utter stupidity this morning give us the colour even the colour of the car uh, it was a kind of a grey green Okay, shame on whoever was driving it. She could have caused a very bad accident. Uh, luckily, you're okay, Peter. Listen, thank yep, you for that. Thanks for thanks. that. And uh, thanks for joining us. 1850 Let's take a break. We're back chatting with uh, Joe Heffernan and we're going to discuss the topic of anxiety on the programme today. Laura Gaelga, RC103. Marilyn Monroe. Ashtar August Mankeen, Maricona, Marilyn Monroe. James Doherty, Joe DiMaggio, August Arthur, Santana McCurk, Eratastis Brehead, nor Norma Jean Mortensen, Ocarin True Law is Behead of Yara, Nede Quegashe, for Norma Jean Cadifigul, Ocurt Karuk, Stottenwer Aruk, August Darug Shiahanum is Ishina, Kudli Hul Gamarla Monroe. On Elm Ahonig Nade Quagatri, Vishi Mark Yantan Realty is Kalulai Hollywood. Savli Nade Trukkar, Durkra Paranoia Schizophrenia Egamoher. Fresh Kukla Mi Kuraki in Ospil. Barshin, Honig Marlin La Tilo Gifrula, August Darik Shi Skull Nagamini. Velik Monroe in Ataka Los Angeles, Air Modern, Erin Gugulod Lunasa, Nade Shaskado. Kartografain Varu Aviagest. Law Tala Novan is the dinner dinner hash stories called a re of Team Blundown. The Blue Gwilk at Gwilkosh Davish Davis College is Michelle Todney Kirkron. CK'd Asa 3 Kirkig. Just on the hospitals that we've been discussing, morning Patricia, the hospital issue could all be sorted by joined up thinking. But is that too much to ask or too easy? Also, what you've said about Bantry Hospital is correct. It is an excellent hospital. I've occasioned have been in there a few times myself. Great people that care for you. It really needs to have its A&E reinstated, as does Mallow General Hospital. Travelling time to be seen in Cork University Hospital from a rural area can cost vital time 
It can also cost uh, lives. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, uh, And you're very welcome. And we've been speaking over the last number of weeks about depression. And today we want to look at the other side of the coin, which is anxiety. And we were talking in the office this morning when we knew that you were going to be discussing uh, this. And everyone was of the view that everybody knows somebody who's suffering from anxiety. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's that kind of world now, isn't it? And um, there are very few of us who don't suffer from anxiety. Now, it can be debilitating anxiety, which prevents us doing, can be anxiety of a very simple nature. You know, um, I have an appointment, um, uh, you know, will I get a puncture? Will there be roadworks? Will I be held up? Small anxieties. Then, um, usually anxieties would... um, uh, would be about people, places, or things, or a combination of any of those, um, when we think about it. Uh, why didn't that uh, cousin uh, ring me back? Why didn't that, that person answer that text? Um, uh, you know, uh, the bill for uh, such a thing is in the door, and that was a bit unexpected uh, on account of that the car gave trouble. These little anxieties are, well, they're not little either. They're, they're, they're pretty big. But then there are the, the, the really big ones. And sometimes there's that free-floating anxiety that we're feeling uptight, we're feeling anxious, and we find it very hard, as we call it, to put our finger on what is it exactly that I'm anxious about? So there's no known cause for this feeling of anxiety? Well, as to where does it come from, you yeah. know. Okay. that um, Yeah, but what it is is really that they, we feel that there's a threat um, either to our safety, our well-being, our happiness, our social standing, uh, our security. You know, um, that... When, when any or all of those um, are, are uh, perceived to be threatened, well, then we, we get anxious. And um, what, what I was suggesting then were a kind of a, a menu, as it were, of different um, uh, things to do, which uh, people I have spoken with down through the years have found to be helpful in uh, in dealing with their anxiety. Um, some people would have had anxiety that would be, when you would do that infantry, would come out as severe. Um, other people would just have what we'd call worries, the ordinary kind of everyday worries of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that in common that would be helpful for sure would be talking it over. Um just saying to a trusted friend, uh, a, a partner, uh, family member, or the GP, or uh, someone in my own line of work, to just say, you know, I'm I'm feeling anxious all the time, and etc. And if the person knows the right questions, not necessarily the right answers, but the right questions, um, a, a person could kind of recognise or get to recognise. Yeah, yeah, that's it's that kind of thing now that is worrying me. And uh, I, I mean, awareness is curative. Yeah. Once we kind of can name it, 
we can maybe deal with it a bit better. And, and you're talking about somebody who therefore then constantly lives in an anxious state. Absolutely. Wow, that must be so debilitating. Absolutely. And I mean, at its highest level, and we can talk about this uh, next week or the week after, whatever, um, would be um, um, a full-blown panic attack. Um, uh, And, uh, you know, panic attacks are not uncommon. And they're not not nice things to happen. Oh, godly, no. No, no, no. It's... um, it's it's a horrible old thing to happen, but um, there are means of dealing with it, and um, uh, and and uh, uh, and they work. Like um, okay, so so you're saying talk about it. What are you saying? Escape from the problem for a while. Well, what, yeah, one of my ways now would be um, I'd like to get stuck into a good book. Um, if I have a book, I'm not talking about now a kind of a. a um, a serious tome about um, uh, work situation or anything like that. No, I'm talking about maybe an old thriller, um, you know, uh, uh, a kind of a Michael Connolly book or um, or um, a good film. Um, if I have uh, a good film to look forward to, we'll say, uh, when I'm finished work in an evening, um, I like that idea. And... Um, it is as the as the saying goes. It takes me out of myself for a while, and um, uh, and 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 that helps a lot. Um, another thing would be a bit of a change of scene if a person can kind of uh, get away for a while. Um, you know, uh, uh, on another occasion, I've just headed off um, on my own, say down to Killarney, um, park the car, go for a walk by the lake, um, up around. Um, Mucros, Ladies View, that area. And I find that that helps just to a change of scene. But the thing is, like, to kind of, to, to get away by some manner or means, whether it's an active thing like that or whether it's a film or a book or, um, or, or going to a match or whatever one is interested in, um, to just get away from it for a while, not to... Uh, sit and ruminate about the problem um, for long, long, long periods. Because uh, what about exercise? You'll often hear people say that uh, people who suffer with depression and our anxiety that exercise, getting yeah. some kind of physical exercise. Absolutely, and the usual one, the, the usual one is a walk, which doesn't require any equipment. Um, there was a person here with me recently, and we were talking about anger, and. Um, I think the person kind of regarded anger as a bad thing and was kind of saying, well, anger is anger, you know, all that matters is what do you do with it? So um, uh, we actually went into the garage here um, uh, just to show that um, there's a punch bag there. It's an almighty one. Um, One of the lads was into Taekwondo and that. And, um, you know, there's... yeah, uh, the odd time I might head on for the garage and give the punch bag a couple of wallops, and tisn't one that you easily move. It hangs there, but it's 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 a it's a very heavy one, and um, and 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 that can help. Other people would like to do something a little bit less um, uh, uh, strenuous, or whatever the word would be, like a bit of gardening. Some people are into DIY. Now, all I'd ever get from DIY, like, would be um, swollen thumbs. 
Um, so that wouldn't be my scene. There was well, a flat pack thing arrived here a couple of weeks ago, and I looked at it for a long time before I decided I might have a go. Yeah. What did it turn out like? Do you know what it turned out okay? See, it did. see, you were more worried about it than actually getting, I actually getting stuck was. in and get it done. Anything like that, I, 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 I worry about it not working out and, and uh, kind of fearing that I'd feel bad then about that instead of just getting stuck in and uh, when all else fails read the instructions you know always <laughs> read the instructions yeah. okay you you suggest give in occasionally well, I, I don't yeah. quite understand that well you see if if you're having um, um, a, a, a bit of a row w- with someone and um, uh, to, to maybe um, no I'm not saying to be a doormat and I'm not saying not to stand up for what's right but um, when it's uh, a person uh, who matters to you and um, you know I, I've often said to a person here well would you rather be right or be happy and uh, almost always the person says I, I'd rather be happy so like if it's over something that isn't going to sort of um uh, impinge on your deeply held values or something like that, it might be okay to just say, you know what, um, this isn't what fighting about, um, you know, and and if I got all worked up about it, look, sorry about that. And the other person almost always then will say, you know, look, I got a bit worked up about it myself, I'm sorry about it too. And that then kind of um, eliminates that um, and, and uh, yeah, so to give in occasionally, maybe even to, um, you know, that when we're in an anxious state to think about, is there anything nice that we could do for someone else? Is there someone we could visit? Is there someone we could pick up the phone and, and ring? Um, is there some little thing, uh, you know, uh, that we could do for another person? I, I, th- I think that usually... Um, lifts anxiety to a fair degree uh, as well, Patricia. And then when you know that there's a list of tasks that you have to do, and I'm just thinking if you're constantly in this anxious state, the thought of doing the tasks uh, is probably making you even more anxious. You prioritise. Prioritise the tasks that need to be done. I have a page which kind of a line down the middle of it, and on the left it says important, and on the right it says uh, important and urgent. So... The important and urgent, as it says on the tin, needs to be done. The other ones on the left are important as well. And uh, once the ones on the right get shifted out and done, kind of the ones on the left can then start moving over towards the important and urgent. Like, for example, I know that there are two things I need to do this afternoon. One is about um, insuring the car. And the other is uh, a phone call that I need to make um, to a person in Cork. And, you know, they're important and urgent. I need to do them today. And I will do them. And they won't take long. Um, but, um, yeah, just to kind of, instead of instead of seeing a list, like, as long as your arm, and uh, just asking yourself, look, is that really vital now? Is, uh, you know... Uh, and and if it isn't, maybe yeah, shelve it for a while and and do the important thing. And then sort of like being kind to yourself and and don't be too critical. Don't be comparing yourself to other people. Don't be the perfectionist. Oh God, no, yeah. no, no, no. To kind of say, you know, look, um, I I think most of us in life um, can genuinely say, 
can look ourselves in the mirror as it were and say, look, you're doing your best. Yeah. And that's all we can do. Um, as far as comparing with others, um, uh, you know, you're, there's no good to be got from that. Yeah. I mean, you know, if the fellow next door is driving a Mercedes and if you're driving uh, whatever, um, you know, so what? Yeah, just be thankful for what you're driving. Exactly. No, you, you, you couldn't say it better. To, for our own strengths and qualities, to be grateful for them. Okay. All yeah, right. and, and not to be too critical of others. We'll come back to this uh, again next week because I do think it's an issue that seems to be affecting so, so, so many people, particularly young people and a lot of parents worry about their children with regard to anxiety. Joe, listen, have a lovely week and we'll, we'll talk next Tuesday. Thanks for that. That Thank is Joe Heffernan who runs the counselling practice in Bohabwees and was 0297661717 and somebody wants me to mention uh, today on account of Joe being on that there is a Grow Weekend, the wonderful organisation Grow, that Joe often uh, mentions they are a world community mental health movement in Ireland and they are having their weekend a very special weekend to celebrate their 50th anniversary from on September 19th it's going to be on in Carlo there'll be workshops talks testimonials trips on buses to local attractions meals included and there is a social on the last night Michael in Bantry has asked me to give that a mention I took a quick look on grow.ie and they talk all about the uh, conference that's on it's the 50th anniversary mental health conference and tickets are available on Eventbrite. Glad to get that. I mentioned grow.ie. That's where I leave you uh, for today. My thanks to John Paul for producing. Thank you to everybody who contributed to the programme uh, today and we'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10. Nick is with you for the afternoon. Until tomorrow at 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a very good afternoon. This Wednesday on C103's Cork Today show, we'll be speaking with a representative from Awalia. Awalia is a scheme to help homeowners find a resolution to their home mortgage arrears. It provides vouchers for free financial and legal advice and help from experts which are available through MABS. If you have been through the Awalia scheme and would like to share your story, or if you're looking for advice, email corktoday at c103.ie. Then listen in this Wednesday at 11.45am only on C103.